0: Now you begin to understand how we can declare today that we have the power to change the world because we have the power to be disciple and then make disciples. So essentially here's what Jesus was saying, I have changed you, now go change others. And now that you know what's required of you, how will you respond? Pastor Martin dives deeper into the message entitled, World Changers follow along in acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 6 as pastor Martin explains if we look back 2,000 years ago we see that a young man from a inconsequential little village started sharing a message he was from a modest family wasn't significant wasn't a big deal but he began to share This message that he said was given to him by God Almighty. And that he was to share this message with anyone who had an ear to hear and would believe and receive this message. Now, as he continued, he went on validating who he was because, as a part of that message, he says, You can trust what I'm saying because. I'm not just an ordinary man, I am the son of God. Mm-hmm. Now that puts some people off and said, wait a minute, this man is making himself equal with God. I don't know, he may be crazy. But he then went about proving and validating who he was because he began to do miracles, signs, and wonders that the world had never seen. You're right. So as he was validating himself, he was essentially also validating the power of his message. Because think about this, when someone who's great shares a great speech, we have speeches today that we recite even as we're going through grammar school and through our education process, we have speeches that are recited and learned because great men and great women have spoken these things. Because of their greatness, their message was great. So he then, as he continued to go about proving and demonstrating his power, he began to develop this committed following of men and women whom he called disciples. They would be those who were carrying about and sharing this great message As as he would go about teaching, they would be with him amening and saying, hey, we agree with what he's saying. But then he, as he was preparing, To depart, he charged those individuals with the carrying of the same message and to share that message with others. He was so committed to him, to to this message that he was sharing that he was willing to die rather than cease from declaring it. He was threatened that if you keep speaking and keep sharing the message you're sharing, you will die. But then they fulfilled their threat and they killed him. But he went on to do something that made him more remarkable than any other man that had ever lived. Because after they brutalized him and killed him, three days later he resurrected. And that resurrection power is what made his message that much more powerful. Because he had already done some things that men had never seen. And he's done one thing that no one can ever match. He resurrected. But after he died and before he went back to God who had sent him, he charged and commissioned those followers that, that he had garnered over this time to now go and change the world in his name. So essentially today what we're establishing is that the way of the cross is really the way of being a world changer. The way of the cross is the way of changing the world and If we understand that Jesus came from God, here is something that we can assert to be true. When God wanted to change the world, he sent Jesus. When Jesus wants to change the world, he sends you or I, through his great commission. Thus, as we declared when we started, we have the power to change the world. To make my first point, I wanted you to understand that there's something significant about Jesus because even those who say, I don't believe who he was, they know that he existed. Uh-huh. And the things that we've shared so far with you are not fairy tale or fable, they are a matter of fact. You can go back and find historically, there was a young man from a town called Nazareth, who was brutalized and nailed to a cross, who rose from the dead and over 500 witnesses saw him at one time and said, we know that we saw him die, but we also saw him alive. It's a matter of record. Uh Jesus changed the world. My first point, Jesus changed the world. The term Anno Domini, or before Christ, are terms that are used to label the years in the Julian and the Gregorian calendar systems. A.D., Anno Domini. The term is a Latin term, a medieval term, that actually means in the year of the Lord or the year of our Lord, anno, domini. It actually uh, comes from a, the full original statement, which actually s- speaks of in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, which tra- is translated from the Latin phrase that simply, that states, anno domini, nestro Jesu Christi. That statement is a Latin phrase that says, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. This era of calendar is based upon the reckoning of either the conception of Christ or his birth, which we get AD, AD accounting for the years from the start of this epoch, and BC denoting years before the era started. Now, this dating system was devised in uh, 529 BC, AD rather, and ultimately did not begin to be widespread in its usage until the ninth century. So, if you look at that you say, well, Pastor Martin, then what, used to ha- what happened before then? If it, if it wasn't devised until the sixth century and it wasn't widely used until the ninth century, then what happened before then? I'm glad you asked because there is an answer. Prior to that, special dates and times were based upon either political figures, special events, and or well-kept chronological notations of when a ruler reigned. We actually see this in Scripture because if you go back and you look at Isaiah chapter six, you find out that Isaiah said in the year the King Isaiah died. When God invited him to see his glory, he noted the fact that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. So we see that prior to this time, dates were important. Even the Romans, when we look back and see Roman history, the Romans oftentimes used three mechanisms. They would actually use where, who was council. So before they had emperors, they had a senate. But that senate, to keep fairness, they would have two council. And those consuls were designed to be two equal persons that were kind of leading the Senate. Before they had that, then they were also used as a means of, of tracking times and dates, they would use the, the founding of the city of Rome. So that based upon how far it was from the founding of the city of Rome. And then when they did get emperors, they would use the, the, the number of years within that rule of that emperor in order to track date and time. Now we also see that the Egyptians used some variation of this because they would look back and they had a very systematic approach to recording when the king reigned because it was important to know where something fell in history according to that reign. Now since then, we've seen something developed that developed uh, in the 1700s uh, use that's more common today that uh, BCE or CE. That stands for an abbreviation of Before Common Era or Common Era, CE. Now that was done so that it wouldn't be not, so there wouldn't be an explicit connection back to Christianity. So the idea was trying to distance itself from Christ. But I want you to understand something today. That the Gregorian calendar is the most widespread calendar used in all of the world. So Jesus changed the world in a way that time could not ignore. Because no matter how you try to tell time, you gotta go back to when he was born. And recognize when something either happened before or since he changed the world. Now, I would ask, do you agree with this observation that I've made? There seems to be a preoccupation in the world today with changing the world. Would you agree to that? Well, if you don't, let me me make my point. As I looked at this and I considered this, I found some things that I thought spoke to this. Songwriters look to change the world with lyrics. I'm looking at the man in the mirror I'm asking him to change his ways. We are the world, Uh we are the children. Some of those that are younger are like, what is he talking about? (laughs) So, songwriters use lyrics to change the world. They send a message. When we think about politicians, politicians look to change the world through policies. If we can change enough laws, then we can change the way the world is functioning. Social servants look to change the world through programs. If we have enough programming that that will help to change the mentality and the way that we function, then ultimately the world will change its course. Protesters look to change the world by public displays of rebellion. Mm -hmm. My sign, my presence, says that whatever is being done needs to change and ultimately change the world. Activists look to change the world through movements. If we can, we're trying to stir a movement. You've heard that terminology lately. We're trying to stir a movement to change the world. But here's what I stopped to share with you this morning. Jesus. And his missional agency of discipleship is actually changing the world one life Amen. at a time. Amen. Because when I can say that I once was lost, yeah. but now I'm found. When I can say what I used to be before I found Jesus, what I used to do before I found Jesus, it changed something in me. And therefore, a part of the world has changed because I've changed. Because what he did was he commissioned them. He gave this what we call the Great Commission. And he says to them, go make disciples. We talk, we're talking about following Christ. And that he says, if you wanna follow me, then you must first deny yourself, take up your cross to follow me. Followship means that I have a leader and I follow where he leads, I follow. That if we begin or we continue the effort of making one disciple at a time, life on life, that the world changes one life at a time. Each one reach one and one reaches another, it has a ripple effect. Here's what Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 to 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now you begin to understand how we can declare today that we have the power to change the world because we have the power to be disciple and then make disciples. So essentially, here's what Jesus was saying. I have changed you, Mm -hmm. now go change others. I have changed you, now go help change others because as you become my follower and you help someone else learn what it looks like to follow me, you've just changed the world. Mm -hmm. Because now that person goes and changes someone and that person goes and helps someone. And before you know it, you begin to see a change. So we can deduce from this that Jesus changed the world. Therefore, disciples of Jesus are also world changers. When we look in our text today, we find that, that the men described in verse number six. I want you to go to verse six and look what they said. They described and they said when the when 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 Paul and Silas arrive and begin to teach individuals in the in the in the synagogue and they begin to believe. They described and they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here to turn our town upside down. And they were simply going about doing what we see Paul doing, going in and teaching and demonstrating that Jesus was the Christ and he's resurrected and he's coming again. A second point I would make today because if we think about being world changers, then that means we are the agents of changing the world rather than the recipients of the change that happens in the world. So we are to be transformational rather than conformational. We are to be Changing the world rather than conforming to the world, because the only image that we're supposed to conform to is found in Romans chapter 8:28, being conformed to the image of Christ. That's it, You should not be conforming to anything else. That's right. That's right. Everything else you should be transforming. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse number two, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind has to be continually renewed. You gotta keep reminding yourself, I don't do that no more. I told you, we back there having a good time praising God and somebody's stanker leg came out. <laughs> that, that, I, don't know if that, I don't know how holy that dance is, but you know, you're, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Because we have to be reminding ourselves that we are world changers. God is changing me. He's charged me to change and conform to the image of Christ, and then I, therefore, become an agent of change for the world. Amen. Rather than chasing after the images of the world and trying to figure out how it fits in the church. I'm going to say that twice. Rather than chasing after the images of the world and then trying to figure out where we could fit it in to the church. Let me say, I want to read that passage in the New Living Translation in case you didn't get it the first time. It says, do not copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is the good and pleasant and perfect. He says, don't copy what you see. but allow God to transform you that you may become an agent of change. We are world changers. But before I get away from this point, I wanna emphasize something. Jesus named his followers salt and light. Matthew chapter five, verse 13 and 14, he says in, in chapter 13, you are the salt of the earth. He said, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing. Wait a minute. Come on, Jesus. You're being kind of harsh. You're telling me that if I'm going to follow you and I'm not going to season things around me, there's not much you can do with me? You are the salt of the earth. Salt that has no flavoring has no use. It's not stable enough. It clunks together. It clumps together. You can't really do much with it. You can't build with it. If it's not used for salting, he says it's just useful enough to be trampled underfoot. Then in verse 14, he says, You are, so both times he says, Are, you are, operative term are, not could be, should be, he says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. A city that sits on a hill cannot be hidden. Here's why this is important. Because both salt and light have a profound impact upon any environment to which they are introduced just go to a restaurant and the, and the chef back there don't know how, to, how Big Mama used to do it. Yes, you say, boy, this needs a little. Salt. You walk into a room and it's dark and dim, you say, somebody turn on the. light. If we're living in a dark world, then we need some light, light in the world. Yeah. Because the salt factor is important because salt is used for preservation for salt, but there are actually some uses that you may not know. Salt is actually used for tanning leather, tanning and dyeing leather, you have to introduce some salt to it. Salt is also used in bleaching things. Salt is also a product that's used in pottery. Certain types of pottery, you have to add some salt to it. Even when making soap, you have to introduce some salt. And for you bakers, did you know that baking soda is a form of salt? Oh Lord, yes it is. So we understand that salt is used in so many industries, and the chemical industry uses it all the time. Various different elements of the chemical industry has to have salt introduced to accomplish their goals. It's used for medicines. You got a canker sore? What do you say? Put some salt on that thing got a sore in your mouth, put a little salt in it. Take some salt water. That's that's what my big mom used to tell me all the time. Swish it around. It's salty, swish it around. It'll get get the job done. So salt impacts whatever environment it's in. We already know what light does. Because he says, you are the light of the world. One of my favorite times of year is Christmas time. Anybody like Christmas? Somebody said, no, was, man, I'd be so stressed out trying to figure out what gift to get. I just, it, do we have any gift carders in here? You know, you, you, you gave up on trying to give a gift. You, you you walk in, you put all your gifts in one little bag, Because <laughs> you pull out a here you go. Merry Christmas, Merry, what, what's this? You just, just open it up, <laughs> gift card. Bye, bye, bye. But one of the reasons I enjoy Christmas is because of the lights. They're gonna display something for you. I want you to see this. Just look at this picture. I want you to to see something. The surroundings are dark. But look how profound the, the light is amidst the darkness. So much so that you have to take your time and look for the darkness because the light is shining. See, this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, go make disciples. He was looking at a dark world and he said, if I could get all these lights to start shining, it'll be like Christmas all over the world, but not in terms of physical light, but spiritual light of different colors and different sizes, scattered all over, hanging on trees, going all over the place, because then the light would be dominant even though darkness is prevalent. Because he was just simply saying, when he said, go make disciples, he was saying, go light up the world. That's why he says, you are the light of the world. As I was looking at this, I made another observation because as Christians, we face an identity crisis when we start conforming to the world rather than being a part of the transformation of the world because we've lost our identity at that point because he says, no one takes a light and light it and put it under a bushel. He just it up high that it might give light. See, God didn't call you a light that you might hide the light. So when you try to conform and you're striving to be like, rather than causing transformation, then you've lost your identity. There's an identity crisis. So we have to be who we are. And the Word of God says, if you are children of light, walk like children of light. Act like it. Did somebody said, you better ask somebody. That's right. <laughs> if you didn't lost track, you better ask somebody. Yeah. You're light. Another point that I must make. Part of what Jesus was giving us when he says, go make disciples, he was basically saying, you are torchbearers of the message. In the Olympics, each year, that they have the Olympics, they have torchbearers, they have a relay team. And each one of them has a leg of the race to run. The goal is for them to carry this to the cauldron that will be the lit flame that will burn for the entirety of the Olympic games. Each of those persons are charged with running with the torch and doing their part because of how significant it is to have this symbolic flame burning. We see Paul doing that in verse two, because he says, then Paul as his custom, As his custom, he went in, he understood that his part of the message bearing was that he must go wherever he went, he shared that message. And he stayed there three Sabbaths teaching and many began to believe. So when we think about this, the Olympic Games existed without the torch bearing at some point. But since 1936, In Berlin, there's been a relay of individuals carrying the torch. And I I don't know if you've ever watched this, but ceremonially, as they're running, each one feels so honored to be chosen to carry this important torch. Ultimately, we're called to be torchbearers and we should feel honored that we have this great message of the gospel that we can carry to bring light, to light a fire in someone else, that the fire of salvation and the Holy Spirit can burn in their hearts like it burns in ours. The one thing that we must never forget, because oftentimes when we talk about sharing the message, we assume that that means we need to go and talk and teach and, and be a Bible scholar and try to help someone understand how in the Garden of Eden, there was a fall and then God had to destroy the earth through Noah and then he restored it. No, 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 no. We're called to also message with our lives. Yeah. Yeah, you can speak it, you can talk to talk, but you know how it is. You got to walk the walk. People want to, they, they want to know less of what you know and more of what you do. Because here's what Paul does, and I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna have you turn it, but, but make a note of this. He says, he uses a phrase, he says, we are living epistles. An epistle was a letter sent to a people So each of the the passages that we have, like Ephesians, these were letters, epistles that were sent, and they were used to teach and train the people. So he says, we are living epistles in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 3, verse 2 and 3 says, you are living epistles read by men. See, people want to see the change that you say has happened. They want to see it in you. But he says, this, these epistles are not written with ink. They're written in the hearts by the Holy Spirit. That process of sanctifying, the process of dying, it is that process where you become a display. Because some people, we've said this many times, there's those that, they're not interested in church. But as we said, that everyone wants to believe that something's changing for the better. And that happens in us. I'm going to conclude by making this point today. Disciples have divine change agency. We have capacity and ability. We started out by having you declare that because in the end, salt and light changes its environment. But what's critical and key In understanding who we are is that we have the power to change the things around us by the power of the Holy Ghost. See, if it hadn't been for the Lord in me, working the will and to do of his good pleasure, I would still be what I used to be. Here's a few verses that I want to point out about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 15. And 16. Here's, here's what the Word says. If you love me, keep my commandments. Notice this. Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Then he said, and I will give you help. Boom. Uh-huh. log, I'm a barter for Pastor Smith. Yeah. <laughs> he might text me as well. Hey, brother, you know, that's, that's my thing. <laughs> because notice he says, keep my commandments yeah. and I'm going to give you help to do it. What's that help? The Holy Spirit. I can only be salt and light because the Holy Spirit working in me helps me to be just that. I will pray the Father, he will give you a helper that he may abide with you forever. Slide down in that same chapter verse 26, he says this, because he's he's helping us understand that, that, that you can't be salt and light without me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm gonna give you the help you need to keep my commandments. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, he identifies him now, He he's a helper earlier. Now he says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. That mind reminded me, you getting ready to go do it? The Holy Spirit said, don't do it. And then we don't give him credit. Something told me not to go over there kind of something are we talking about? You know, all the stuff that you got going on ain't gonna tell you to not go. Every all the somethings in you told you to go. That's how you saw that. <laughs> the something in you told you to go, but the Holy Spirit said, Don't go. It ain't something, it's the Holy Spirit. Help me say that. It ain't something, it's the Holy Spirit. Don't be ashamed. You can say it. Say it loud, say it proud. We get ashamed to say the Holy Spirit told us something. He told you, if, you, if, you, if you're going to do wrong, he said, don't do it. That ain't something. That's right. That's right, it's the Holy Spirit. Amen, Pastor. Because ultimately what he's saying is that if you're salt and I'm salt and you're light and I'm light, that the collective impact will change the world. Because notice what he said. These men, he didn't say Paul. Paul is the main character here. He's preaching, and teaching. He said, but these, Paul and Silas and all of them that were traveling with them. He said, these men, that's what God is saying. We collectively can change the world. Salt and light having a collective impact on the world. I'm going to close with a question. And it's a probing question that I want you to not answer. Don't raise your hand. Don't stand up. Don't smile, don't frown. Just just keep looking like you're looking. <laughs> See if any expressions change. Here's my question. What sermon series is your life preaching? That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes visit us at AmityBC.org. Until next week, be blessed.